Uh, morning. How are we all doing this morning? That was really cool worship, actually. Doesn't you don't need, you know, we don't need to have the band all the time. God doesn't care. He just cares about our hearts. You know that song, "Amazing Grace," is uh, never gets old. There's a revelation. That guy had a revelation of his grace. It is amazing. It really is. It's the key to a Christian's walk understand grace eh? yeah there's been you know I know there's been controversy around grace but there was controversy around prosperity there was controversy around healing when it came out there was controversy around righteousness there was controversy around faith which this church went through see I believe the call, one of the callings on this church is to break new ground right, we're on the cuffs of it this is whether you accept it. Yes, there's always going to be pushback. You just got to ignore that. All we can do, like Paul, like I think Paul insinuated, is all we can do to people like that, to religious people, or people who don't get it, is just preach the love of God. That's it. Just show them the love. Not hate, not anger, not bickering. Love. Anyway, today my message title is Seek First the Kingdom of God and His Righteousness, Part 2. I didn't intend to do a Part 2, to be honest. Um, well, I'll be honest, I had a pretty rough week. Felt like I was spiritually being attacked. And I gave in to fear because it wasn't, I didn't start get this message till Friday afternoon. <laughs> so I gave in to fear, I was freaking out. And uh, I was looking at all sorts of things. Where do I go? What message do you want me to preach, Lord? Because I always seek the Lord. I always only want to preach what He wants to say. And I was looking at all sorts of things, and I just I gave up. I almost gave up. And I, one night, I think Thursday night, I did. I was been, I'm, I'm going to bed. I just can't get it. And I heard these words multiple times, read my word, and I went, oh, that's just me telling me that. But then I go, he said, my son, read my word, read my word. And I went, okay, God, what do I read then? And he said, what? 2 Timothy 1.7, which is, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And that word given highlighted to me, given. He's given it to us. There's no need to operate in that fear. So I focused on that and I thought, oh, does he want me to preach on fear? I know all about fear. Well, most of us do. And then, but it somehow... It just started getting layered and layered and layered. And I ended up back here. So here we are. Sometimes we have to go through stuff and God wants us to go through it because he wants us to endure. You see, I was really lucky. Amy sent me a text Friday morning. It encouraged me. It's where Paul's encouraging Timothy to endure like a, endure like a good soldier for Christ. You know, endure. Endure. I'm not going to give up this time, I said to myself. I had talked myself up and go, no, nah, that's it. I'm not giving up. There must be a reason for this. You know, God, we do go through trials and hardships and we wonder why God doesn't take it away. He won't take it away. He wants us to go through it with him because there's something to learn out of it. There's a revelation. There's a strength out of it. It solidifies your faith in Christ. I'm getting a bit ahead of myself, but we'll get to that. So to summarize from my last message... I preached about that the kingdom of God is his love for us. He loved us first. And without that, we couldn't love God back. It's impossible. Because we see under the law, 
The old covenant man tried and failed. Couldn't do it. This was God showing man he couldn't achieve salvation through his own works, righteousness, legalism, anything that relies on you to maintain and attain salvation. It won't work. You'll peter out. You'll fade away. You see, our motivation and love for God comes from the revelation that he loved us first with all his being. He loves us with all his being, not some of it. And God kind of love is different to the love we understand. It's all-encompassing. It's always there. It never goes away. doesn't matter your situation, your belief, where you are, what you've done. His love is there. Is always there. Just like a parent loving a child and that child in return loves you back. If you understand that, you'll understand grace. It's all about how much he loves us. The sacrifice he done for us. He went beyond what he needed to do to get us back. That's how God's kingdom works. It's all about God sending his son to free us from captivity and to bless us abundantly over and above our wildest dreams. You know, all it takes is to believe. Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. He said, when Jesus said that, he said that to a father that, you know, that was freaking out because his child was dying. But Jesus didn't freak out. In fact, he got interrupted and had to pray for the woman with the issue of blood, and so the daughter died. But he told the father, do not be afraid, only believe. And that child was risen, was she not? So do not be afraid, only believe. None, nothing you can do can change that. So we are to seek his love first, and it also says, and his righteousness. And so I focused more on the kingdom of his love, last message, so this is going to be a bit more pointed towards his righteousness because Jesus said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So at the same time, it's something we need. It's a foundation for every believer to have that solidified within us. It needs to sit there, not go away. We need to live in it. So we are to seek and pursue and understand his righteousness. 1 Timothy 6, 1, 11 says... But you, O man of God, flee the things and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and gentleness. You know, if you, if you don't know what righteousness is, I know it can be a funny word to someone who's not been in church, or even people who are in church might not un actually understand the word righteousness, but think of it this way. His righteousness, God's righteousness, gives us the ability to stand before God holy and blameless and acceptable. Not relying on what I've done or my works. Relying on His righteousness. Do you understand? The Bible talks about His righteousness being imputed on us, accredited to us, or like Abraham, Abraham was accounted righteous. He was accounted righteous through his faith. Hence why he was able to be, and in fact he was called a friend of God. But God went a step further with us. He went a step further than the cross 
He's given us the robe of righteousness. It's something you wear. It's a covering. And last time I mentioned a little bit on this, and this is where I want to this is where I want to carry on. So he has done this to cover our sins so we can fellowship with him without condemnation. Remember, a sense of unworthiness will keep you at a distance to God. will always keep a gap. Just like the prodigal son. He came back to the father with unworthiness, but what did God do? He still gave him his righteousness. He just hasn't got it yet. But he still loves you. You're still right with God. It's not, up, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you believe in. So, and this is where I'd like to start from, is Isaiah 61 verse 10. It says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, as a bride adorns herself with jewels. You know, you no matter how many times you have failed, how many mistakes you have made, or how terrible you think your sin is, the cleansing power and the blood of Jesus Christ is greater than them all. Is greater than them all. You know, God made this promise to us in his word in Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like a scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's the power of the cross in your life. The moment you believe in Christ, all your sins are washed away once and for all and you are made as white as snow. That's how God sees you right now, clothed with a gleaming robe of righteousness. If you believe in Jesus, if you've given your heart to Jesus, right now you have the robe of righteousness on you, regardless of your situation. You might not realize it. If you remember the parable of the prodigal son, which I mentioned last time in my message, what did the son do to deserve the father's embrace? What did he do to deserve it? The father threw on a robe. He commanded his hired servants to bring the fatted calf and everything. What did he do to deserve that? Absolutely nothing. Undeserved favor. That's how, father, that's how the father gets you back, by loving us back into the kingdom. That's how we get people back into the kingdom, by loving them back. Man, the world is so messed up. It's so easy to get caught up with all the rubbish and controversy. And yes, a lot of it makes you angry because a lot of it's anti-God. But fighting it, I don't think, is the answer because we didn't fight it and we've let it go. The church is responsible for that in some way. The only way to defeat it is with the love of God. That's the only, only way I see it, is the outpouring of God's love. This is the new, I reckon this is the next move is the love of God. So you're either with me or without me. I think this is where we're going. The outpouring of his love. It contradicts how you think justice should be done, doesn't it? We heard last week Pastor Lisa talk about blessing, the, blessing our enemies and blessing those who curse you. Can you imagine if governments around the world blessed their enemies? Would there be any strife and war? God's ways are higher and better. They are foolishness. His ways are foolish to those out there. But God's bigger than that. God knows exactly what's going down. 
This is all he knows, everything. We can take comfort in that. The only thing we need to do is choose his love, choose his son, that's it. Embrace it. That's our motivation. Then comes the question, what have I done to deserve this robe of righteousness? I think I just said that, didn't I? Yep, I just skipped something. Mm. Maybe someone was still thinking they needed to earn it. Well, you don't. We need to understand that God put his righteousness on us because of what Jesus did, not what we did. What he did on the cross, not what I did or will ever do will change this truth. Unchanging. How can man change something God has done? I can't change the fact that he's made me right. I cannot believe it and walk away from it and it won't work for me, but it's there. Nothing I can do can change that. Just my belief. Are you hearing me? So we know the best robe mentioned in the parable of the prodigal son is a picture of the robe of righteousness that our Heavenly Father has clothed us with the moment you receive Jesus. You see, the robe of righteousness is a free gift. You can't earn it, you can't work for it, and you can't merit it. That's why everything we hear about what the Father did to welcome the Son is a picture of our Heavenly Father's amazing grace. And we just sung about it. His unconditional love. Our part in this is just to believe in his goodness, wholeheartedly receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness from him, for him to reign victoriously over every area of defeat in our lives. This is the way, the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Romans 5.15 But the free gift is not like the offence, for if by one man's offence many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. The Bible teaches us that all men died spiritually when Adam sinned. It's funny, I was just, the Lord showed me something while we were singing that song, that when Adam sinned, what was the first thing they did? They hid from God when God came, didn't they? They were ashamed. God took our shame away. We don't need to hide from him anymore. He's covered it. He's covered our shame. Do we understand what he's done? Are we starting to get a picture of the immense magnitude and love he has given us that was done on the cross? Our life should be centered around Jesus. That's it. See, the Lord Jesus Christ came to earth and offered himself as a sacrificial lamb it was at the cross, the shedding of the blood, the spotless Lamb of God, where the grace of God was offered to not one man, not one nation, but to all. To all. doesn't matter what colour you are, what background you are, where you come from, what you've done. This revelation is for everybody. It's the love of God. Yet, why do so many Christians struggle with sin, sickness, unbelief in their lives? I mean, you can only go so far in your own strength and it never works out. That's why you see, you know, someone in the church for ages, but eventually they go to the middle, the back, and out the door because they're worn out. They've been trying to do everything in their own strength and not drawing off 
the revelation in Christ Jesus. They weren't motivated from the revelation. Their motives were somewhere else. Self-righteousness. They thought they were doing the right thing. We still love them. God still loves them. The only way to get that person out of that is to show them the love of God, not to condemn them. I just pray that those people come back. I want to share a true story, actually, that might illustrate this. I have shared this before a couple of years ago. In the 14th century, two brothers fought for the right to rule over a kingdom in what was now called Belgium. The elder brother's name was Ranald, but he was commonly called Crassus as a Latin nickname for fat, for he was horribly obese. After a heated battle, Ranald's younger brother, Edward, led a successful revolt against him and assumed the title of Duke over his lands. But instead of killing Ranald, Edward devised a curious imprisonment. He had a room in the castle built around him, with one door with no lock and one window with no bars. And Edward promised Ranald that if he could leave and walk out that door, he can have everything back. Everything that he lost, he can have it back. But the obstacle to freedom was not in the doors or the windows, but were with Ranald and himself. Being severely overweight, he could not fit through the door, even though it was near normal size. All Ranald needed to do was diet down to a smaller size, then walk out a free man with all he had, with all he lost. However, his younger brother kept sending him assortments of tasty food, and Ranald's desire to be free never won out his desire to eat. Where are your desires? Some would accuse Duke Edward of being cruel to his older brother, but he would simply reply, my brother is not a prisoner. He can walk out whenever he wills, which is true. But Ranald stayed in that room for 10 years until Edward, in fact, actually got killed in battle. You know, the story illustrates the experience of many Christians. Jesus set them free forever legally, and they may walk in that freedom from sin, sickness, depression, whenever they choose. But since they kept giving into their weakness and feeding the appetite of sin, they live a life of defeat, discouragement, imprisonment, because you're trying to get out of it in your own strength. Or you're so, and you end up being so condemned, you think you're not saved, and you think God doesn't love you. The lies start coming. You believe the lies. Your faith is in the lie. Hence why you're still in that pit. Those are lies from the pit of hell and it's by the grace of God that he will lift you out just like Jesus lifted Peter out when he sunk in the water. Jesus, that's what Jesus does. He lifts you up. His hand is always out there to reach out. You've just got to take it. What's stopping you? Hebrews 8, 6, 12. I'll read it out. For if the first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Being finding fault with him, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, because they couldn't. They couldn't. And I, dis and I disregard them, says the Lord, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. 
For you shall all know me, from the best of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. That's the new covenant. See, the law demands something of you. It's demanding. You must meet this requirement to get here. It just, we can't do it. We, don't even, we can't even follow the laws that the government puts on us. They're just new laws all the time. We break them every day. You don't know. What, are you telling me you drive 100K? Exactly. You're breaking the law. Jaywalking, breaking the law. Litting, breaking the law. We can't even do it there. So what makes you think you can do it with God? That mentality needs to stay away from the church as far as possible. Do we not know that we are no longer legally bound to the law? I'm talking, you know, the law in here, the Old Testament. The law has not been done away with, though. Instead, it was fulfilled by Jesus and written in our hearts. It hasn't gone. It's fulfilled because we couldn't fulfill it. So Jesus did it for us. And it's interesting that it's written in our hearts. It's almost like a moral compass. You know it's there. He says it in his word. See, God took all your sin, past, present, and future, and he put his judgment on Jesus. You know, I was thinking about this. Jesus on that cross took every single one of us in this room, every single one of us that had been before us and every single one of us to come. Can you imagine the magnitude of that? He took all of that. Every single sin you've ever committed or will commit in your life, he took on and God judged him for it. And he went to hell for us so we don't have to go there. Three days he spent down there. Three days. It was bad enough he got beaten, stabbed, spat on. This is our king. He did it all for us. How did he do that? Because he's God. Because of the love. That's how big and strong and depth of his love that he was able to overcome all of that. We are free. Do we understand that? We've been set free. We're under new management. We're under the covenant of grace. And we're under God and all of heaven is with us. Who can be against you? No one. You know, like I said, we have trials and hardships and that's when our faith is tested. What, where your faith is placed. And I discovered it this week. 1 Peter 1, 6-7 says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found praise, honour, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So when tribulation and hard times come, that's when your belief in Christ is revealed. What are you believing in Christ is revealed. Are you believing in your own self-righteousness and your works, or you believe and your motivation comes from the love of God? See, the love and grace that is in Christ Jesus is our strength and our motivation that empowers us to live a life that God has laid out for us. Like it said, tested by fire, what should be found? Praise, honour, glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Praise, honor, and glory is found because the act of love that God has given us is shown on the cross causes us to give him praise, honor, and glory to our Father. And in doing so, it gives us strength to overcome every situation. I'm not perfect. I failed it this week. I almost gave up. But God loved me so much, he was able to get through the mess of my head. And all he needed to do was say, read my word. And all I needed to do was respond and say, okay, Lord, what do I need to read? And it just started from that one scripture to here. He got me back focused on what I should be focused on. Tested by the fire. So I could have given up and I would have never have learned that lesson. I refused. I just, and, and that's why I said Amy sent me that scripture that Paul was encouraging Timothy to endure. So I'm like, I'm going to endure this. I'm not giving up. It's not fair to put it back on the other person either. We give up too easily. You know, which, is, which would explain why Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy verse 1, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. So grace is found in Christ. So Jesus is grace. He's a person. You want grace in your life? Put Jesus in your life. End of story. You got problems in your life? Well, then Jesus isn't in there. We don't need to be ashamed. He knows. So stop pretending to be someone else and be yourself. Just be yourself. It's interesting, Margaret was talking to me about something and it kind of got a revelation from it. She was saying how she could be herself around Gordon because she loves him. You love God, you're going to be yourself, aren't you? Because that's all he wants. Because that's how he brings the best of you out. We all have our kinks and things. God, over time, washes away and the best of us come out. That's our God. He doesn't want our personality to change. He wants to bring it out. The world will bring it down. Or try and change it. Which is what they're doing right now. So, like I said, Paul was encouraging Timothy. I mean, Tim and the, Timothy was in an interesting situation. He was a young pastor, effectively, sent to Asia by himself, and the churches there were revolting because there were false teachers all over the place, teaching a false gospel, and Paul was encouraging him, you need to be strong in the grace in Christ Jesus. You needed, you needed to operate out of that revelation. It was, do you know that Paul only sent him two letters? He only got two letters. So Paul had to be pretty precise in what he said to Timothy. Because Paul was in prison and about to die. Can you imagine how Timothy felt on his own? Pastor Robin, you must have felt like that. You're still here though. Perfect example. I take encouragement out of that. Look where we are now. We're a different church. I'm actually excited for this church. I'm excited for what's about to happen so Timothy now is standing alone and he had to be strong in the grace that was in Christ Jesus. It was essential to his survival, his usefulness, and for his ability to be strong. You know, what you, can you imagine if Paul had said, Timothy, be strong. Be strong within yourself. Timothy would have failed because he would have been persevering in his own strength and eventually ran out of steam. And like I said, that's what happens to Christians that live this way. They fade away and get worn out.
We've got we, to stop being too focused on trying to be right with God when he's already done it. All this does is stop you from walking in the anointing God placed on us all. We spend too much time trying, thinking we've got to be right with God when he's already done it. He's done it so we could go out there and do the works. Grace is not about sitting down and doing nothing. It's about enabling us to go and do the works, the works of Jesus. Jesus said we'd do greater works. This is the revelation we operate out of. Luke 4 verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives and recover the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. That's our job. We all have callings in our life, but this is a universal calling for every Christian in this room and the church. We can do this because God loves us. He's sorted us out. We can come to him whenever we want. We have the robe of righteousness. It's time to live in it. And some might say, oh, you're given the license to sin. Rubbish. You didn't need a license before this, did you? So that's a lot of garbage. Like I said, there's always controversy around certain topics and messages, and it gets diluted. And yes, some people may have preached it completely the wrong way, you know, I don't agree when someone gets angry about it and, because, and gets annoyed because someone doesn't get the revelation. That's not the love of God. Then you haven't got a revelation of grace because you're meant to love that person and, and, and be patient and enduring. Hey, is that not true? So when someone gets angry and gets annoyed and throws their toys out of the cot, I question their motive. Do you really have a revelation of it? Or you're just saying it? We're all in this together. We can't condemn someone just because they don't get it. You've got to love on them. Lose too many people that way. So like, who are the captives then? Well, that was us. We were all captive to something. You know, Jesus set us free from that. He unlocked the prison door, loosened the chains, opened our eyes, removed the veil. And yet, even though Jesus opened the door, many Christians still haven't walked out of that prison door. You know, that prison represents sin that you struggle with, which results in condemnation, depression, and sickness. Yet we are set free from sin, from sin once for all. And that, I know we have all issues, but this is why God dealt with the sin problem. Okay? It all results. It's the root cause to everything. I don't care what you think. Sin is, is, is just not healthy. And God's dealt with it. But if you're going to keep it in your life over what God's done for you, then you know, things aren't going to work out, hey? Because you're feeding it. It's going to consume you. You're going to get condemned. And from condemnation goes to depression, fear, all sorts. And then the devil's got, he's trapped you. He's got you captive again when you're set free. I'm not giving any power to the devil because he has none, but that's his power to get you to believe his lies. That's all he's got. That's all he's got. So like I said, why do we struggle when he's made us right? It's because of the lack of knowledge, revelation, and the depth of what God has done for us. Where's your focus been at lately? Do we not understand the magnitude of what was accomplished on the cross? I don't think we do. I think we're starting to. It was huge. So big. You should just dwell on it for a while. 
Like Paul said to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ. You can't go wrong if Jesus is the center of your life. You can't go wrong, you stay close to the word. You can't go wrong if you keep an attitude of being, of, of being teachable. If I say something wrong up here and I get corrected, I'll take it as correction because I made a decision to be open-minded and allow myself to be teachable. Otherwise, I'll never learn. I guarantee you Pastor Robin still has that attitude. Is that not right? We're always learning. God is always showing us new things. doesn't matter how long you've been in church for. You should always be open-minded to correction because God loves us and he will correct us. Some might take that as that's not condemnation. Sometimes we get off and sometimes we need correction and God will do it the way he sees fit. He usually does it through the pastor. So Jesus opened the door. It's finished. Our prison door is open. His work is done so our work begins. We preach the gospel. We heal the brokenhearted. We set the captives free. Jesus freed us to do this. We are meant to reign in life like kings, not slaves trapped in bondage. We're not in those days anymore. The question is, so why do Christians keep themselves in the prison? It's usually because they're still living under the old law belief system. Too focused on what others should be doing when your eyes should be focused on Jesus. Even John the Baptist fell into this trap. I'm not bagging John the Baptist. Jesus did say there'd be no greater man born of a woman than John. So he's, he's highly regarded. He prepared the way of the Lord. But John was in prison and he was only hearing things of what Jesus was doing from his disciples. And in Matthew 11, 2, 3, it says, and when, and when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ... He sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one or do we look for another? He started doubting who Jesus was. So what were the works that he was being told of? You can find that in Matthew 9.14. Then the disciples of John came to him, to Jesus, saying, why do, we, why do we and the Pharisees fast often and your disciples do not fast? They were more focused and more worried about that Jesus wasn't fasting and praying enough and so his disciples. Really? This was their idea of what the Messiah should be doing. Can you see how religious people think and how they miss it? How many times we've missed the move of God because we thought the band was too loud. We thought the message wasn't long enough or the message was too long. Really? Is that what you're worried about? How, how is Jesus in that? You've missed what Jesus has done. Like Jesus said, have you not known that I've, you know, he, what Jesus' response to that was, and he said to John in, in Matthew 11, was the lame, the lame walk, the blind see, the dead have risen. He was telling John, stop looking at that and look what I'm doing, the fruit of my ministry. So I'm not bagging John, he was just getting fed the wrong information, wasn't he? But we're all susceptible to believing that way, aren't we? Even John the Baptist. You know, why aren't you praying enough? Why aren't you reading your Bible enough? Why don't you praise and worship like everyone else? You know, all you end up doing is being focused on works and laws and rules and not our Lord and Saviour and what He is doing. 
So Jesus responds to this accusation from these disciples in verses 15 to 17, Matthew 9, 15 to 17. And Jesus said to them, Can the friends of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch pulls away from the garment, and a tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else wineskins break and the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Now Jesus spoke this way, because this is the language he spoke, because this is what they understood. Everyone drunk out of wineskins. They knew the concept that you don't put new wine in an old wineskin because it was brittle. You know, brittle when it broke and it leaked. So it just doesn't work. But, you know, they missed it. Jesus pointed out, you know, it's time for celebration. God was with them. You know, Jesus was among them. Their God, they believed in, they were hoping and waiting for, was among them. But they were more worried about he wasn't praying and fasting. They missed it. They didn't get to celebrate why he was with them. They missed it. Even though he was healing people, raising from the dead, they, they t- somehow ignored all that and were more focused on what he should be doing. They needed to look like them. You know, they thought Jesus would be like them, but Jesus was like us and unlikely, like Richard Brown preached last week. He was born in a major, in a barn. He wasn't rich by the world standards. He was a carpenter. He lived like us. He was an unlikely. He's not that anymore. He's our king. But he came here as a man. He had to. He could have come as any man. He could have come as a a pharaoh or a king. Someone big and strong, a Pharisee. No, he came as a average man, as an unlikely. That's our God. Otherwise, we couldn't relate to him. You see, because all those other people look down on you, God doesn't look down on us. He comes down to us and lifts us up. So Jesus goes on to use the example of the new wine, which I just explained. So the old wineskin, you could say, represents the law, the old covenant. And Jesus was saying, you can't live in both camps. You can't pour what's coming, the new wine, into the old. It won't work. It'll just leak out and nothing will happen. You're going to struggle. You can't have both feet in both camps. Hence why Christians get confused and discouraged because they're battling between the two. I'm not saying we ignore the old covenant. The old covenant confirms the new. It all points to Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament points to Jesus. Everything. Like the sacrifice of Isaac. Abraham had two sons, but God says, sacrifice your only son that you love. And it's the first time love is mentioned too. It's all pointed to Jesus. You dig deep enough, you find it. You can't accept the love of God unless you accept what that he's made you right. So the new wineskin represents his righteousness that he has put on us. So now we can stand before God and we can accept the new wine because now we have a new wineskin. Because in the Old Testament, the old wineskin couldn't come near God. 
the laws stop them from doing that. The New Testament, here you go, here's my righteousness, now you can come to me, here's my new wine, the outpouring of my love. I mean, how do you not find that amazing? See, the law restricted people, it kept the boundary between you and God. It could not be crossed, keeping them bound and condemned with God. However, under the new covenant of grace, the boundary between you and God is gone. There is no boundary. And there's no limit to what you can now do with God. There's no limit with God anymore. We're co-laborers. Who knows what we can achieve? There's no limit anymore. The, the, the brakes have been taken off. The shackles have been taken off. Now we can run with God or we can hide from him. But he's still going to love you. So should we not start to celebrate? Because Jesus has already left and gone, come back. He's in us. The Holy Spirit's in us. Why are we not celebrating? Why are we still looking at what we should be doing? Or what church should be doing? Or what I should be doing? Our focus is wrong. We need to get our motivation from Christ so we should be out there bringing people in. That is it. The crux of the gospel is to spread the good news. It's not about flash equipment, sound and lighting and media. It's about bringing people into the kingdom. The church started off with a whiz and a bang and then it went like that. Legalism crept in. You know, Jesus called the Pharisees the synagogue of Satan because they were so legalistic and always looking for fault, it crept back in. They took over the church. It's only been in the last two, three hundred years the church is waking up. The first thing was healing. People didn't believe in it. Can you imagine that? They didn't believe in it. There was pushback on healing. Prosperity, righteousness, faith. It's going up and up. The church is waking up. Where is it headed? God's waking the church up. So the line has been drawn. It's clearly drawn now. You're either going that way or we're going this way. There's no more in between. I want to close out on a parable in Matthew 22, uh, 1 to 14. Now this is Jesus sharing this parable and it's, he's kind of aimed it at the Pharisees because his ministry is coming to an end and he's still trying to get through to them. See, even... Even though the Pharisees annoyed him, he was still trying to get the message through to them that you guys are thinking wrong. You've missed it. He was always, and he and he had, he got quite harsh in this one because he just what else can you do? So he says. So Jesus says this, and Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, "The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son, and sent and sent out a servant to call those who were invited to the wedding." And they were not willing to come again. He sent out the other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen, my fatted cattle are killed, and all things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his own farm, another to his business. How many of us operate our businesses on a Sunday and don't come to church? We're too busy for God. I'm not going to look into this revelation today. I've got too much on Our priorities are all backwards, eh? It is, and it's, it, we're all suffering from it. It's just we've got to, we've got to reprioritize. 
See, God put us first. If he didn't put us first, he wouldn't have put his son on the cross. So God's got to be number one in our life. Number one. Then family. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to a business. And they rest and seized the servants, treated them spitefully and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then he said to the servants, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, as many as you find, and invite to the wedding. So the servants went out to the highways and gathered together all whom they found, bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to them, Friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. The king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, and cast him into outer darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. So we know the king represents God and the son, Jesus. So God sent out the servants, the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, all those guys, to demonstrate and preach of the coming of Christ. They had all that, but they rejected the message constantly. And they were even killed. They even killed some of his messengers. Now the time came and they had to make their choice. They had plenty of time, lots of scripture, because of their self-righteousness and works, they missed it. They wouldn't or could not accept the truth. So the king's invitation was opened up to society's maimed, downtrodden, the common man, the outsiders, the unlikelies. These were the types of people that the Pharisees considered unclean under God's curse. Looked down upon us. Jesus, however, taught that the kingdom was available even to those considered unclean. His involvement with tax collectors and sinners brought condemnation from the Pharisees, yet it showed the extent of God's grace. So the people received the invitation, they accepted the free gift, and they came to the wedding banquet. Now the parable also mentions a guest who was noticed by the king, for this person was not wearing a wedding robe. It's interesting, he noticed, so that means everyone else in there was wearing the robe of righteousness, were they not? What did they do to get it? They just said yes to the invite. They put aside everything else and said yes. See, the wedding robe signifies the robe of righteousness that God has put on us. The imposter didn't accept this gift. In fact, he tried to get it on his own righteousness and was cast out. You can't enter the kingdom of God without his righteousness on you. It's impossible. But you must understand, when you are born again, you have it, whether you believe it or not. That's our God. I don't know if there's anyone here that's never given their heart to Jesus, I'd like to extend this invitation. It's an invite. All you need to do is say, yes, what have you got to lose? Nothing. You've got everything to gain. It is a journey. It is a real journey. But you need to start somewhere. I don't know if anyone's in there like that, but if you are, feel free to please come up when we have, we're going to have ministry time now. Hayley, can you please start playing something? And then, I'm going to open the floor up for prayer if anyone wants prayer for anything, but that's the conclude of my message.